afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition. Breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I am your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are on a journey of imagination into the truth of Christian dogma. Believing firmly that when God speaks, he does so with the power to imbue us, to speak it, to confess it, to same say it back to him. It's just like St. Paul says, we're to hunger for the truth, to watch our life and doctrine closely, because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but in order to suit their own passions, they will gather around them teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, you hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught in the past. And so, since it is so steadfast, you will also be steadfast to encourage others. We have on the line with us a couple of regular guests here on Cross Defense to help us look at Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics Volume 2. We're going to be picking up on page 82. We have Pastor Sean Linnell. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, and Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, also the author of the recent book from Concordia Publishing House, Has American Christianity Failed? Gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cross Defense. We are going to be picking up top of page 82. Again, Kind of in the middle of a segment, which is the second of several, in which Dr. Pieper is giving us the divisions of Christian doctrine. And by this, he's not really giving us a pure systematics yet. He's more setting up the categories through which our systematic treatment of the Bible's truth, our orderly treatment of the Bible's truth, can be understood. And so the first of these three different breakdowns was law and gospel, and understanding the division between law and gospel. Now we're into what sounds about as dry as bones and dust, fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, which also kind of sounds like, well, you know, majoring in the majors and minoring in the minors. Last week we talked quite a bit about how that's not right at all. It's not majoring in the majors and minoring in the minors. It's recognizing that doctrine has an epicenter. Doctrine has a gravitational force at the middle from which everything else flows and back to which it flows. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm curious for you to chime in yourselves as well before we break down these various divisions within fundamental and non-fundamental. What do you think of this idea that we would have some dogma that's not fundamental? Uh, Pastor Linnell, get first shot. <laughs> Uh, it's actually really exciting, and Pieper tries to go out of his way to say that this is a pragmatic, not an academic thing. Uh, when we were talking about law and gospel, you know, the, the breakdown of law and gospel, um, that's, that's a pastoral thing. And, and again, even when I say pastoral, I don't mean that that's, that's only for pastors to use. It's meant, it's meant for our comfort. It's meant to, to lead us to the gospel and um, to lead us to this, this comfort and peace that we have in the forgiveness of sins. And this uh, distinction between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines um, it's it's not there, you know, purely for us to sort of break things down like a classroom. But really, what it's meant, um, what it's meant for, is for for us to have uh, a common way uh, to, um, to to describe with grace how it is that that the Holy Spirit might uh, lead um, a person to grow in in maturity and faith, and to to have a little bit of comfort when. When inevitably, because of our sinful nature, we struggle with certain things, um, so that that we can understand that there there are some places where um, where struggling isn't struggling; it's just not having faith, and then other places where struggling is is just the Holy Spirit 
working to over- overcome our sinful nature and the, the the influences of the world that would try to rip the truth of God's Word away from us. So uh, it is really, uh, I think, supposed to be kind of exciting and supposed to be very comforting, but uh, very often abused, so I'm excited to go through it. Yeah, Pastor, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller. I think that's right, and, and maybe even to say a, uh, a word about how Dr. Pieper determines what's fundamental and what's not fundamental. It's not... It's not like he goes through the Bible to tally up which verses are most mentioned, and those must be the fundamental doctrines. And if a verse is only mentioned, you know, a doctrine's only mentioned once, it's not fundamental. Or it's not even the, the kind of connection that it has to God, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity or, or something like this. And in fact, what, what he's going to do is he's going to say the fundamental doctrines are the doctrines that get us to saving faith. In other words, the, 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 the thing that makes them fundamental is that the Lord is using these teachings to save us. So it's fantastically practical. What are the doctrines that, uh, that are fundamental? Well, they're the doctrines that have to do with how we get to eternal life. And that makes this topic not only interesting, but in fact essential for understanding um, our own lives in Christ and uh, the rescue that Jesus has given us. We spent some time last week talking about the kind of the initial example that he gives of a non-fundamental doctrine being the doctrine of the Antichrist. In that, you know, you, you don't need to perfectly understand the doctrine of the Antichrist in order to understand the doctrine of Christ. And yet it is entirely true. It is entirely revealed from Scripture, and if you get it wrong, you can really dissuade from what you know about the real Christ, who he is, and what he's done. So this is not to say that fundamental and non-fundamental means true and not necessarily true. This is all doctrine. It's all what Scripture actually says and we know to be absolutely true, and even to drive us ultimately to Christ. But that it is not, again, the center, the gravitational force, the way to, to know the Antichrist will arise in the church to deceive many is not the same as to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's something just a little more fundamental, foundational about that latter statement. All right, so picking up on top of page 82 where Dr. Pieper says this. He says, but Scripture informs us further that faith in the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake presupposes and includes certain other doctrines, right? So as, as your Pastor Wolfman was saying, this is really all about faith. It's about what our faith rests in Christ on. And he's going to break this down into a couple of points. We're not going to look at all of them today. But the first one is this, that the knowledge of sin and the consequence of sin, eternal damnation, is a prerequisite of saving faith. As long as men fail to realize that their sins merit eternal damnation, and as long as they trust in their own goodness for eternal salvation, they have no interest in the forgiveness of sins obtained by Christ for the condemned sinner. I think right there, I mean, that's enough to talk about for quite a while. The idea that, I, I've said it this way before, and I, I, it always kind of gets a weird kind of like, uh, look, when, when, I, when I say it in a Bible study, uh, which is that you must believe in your sin. You must have faith in your sin. And it's like, well, but I'm supposed to have faith in Jesus. Why would I have faith in my sin? Well, that's not what I mean. (laughs) What I mean is you actually have to believe that it's there. And if you're just going to get to sin on the basis of what you are able to observe reasonably, you won't actually, well, you won't really know what your sin actually is. So it sounded like you're you're on par with me there a little bit, Pastor Linnell. What are are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I do that a lot, too. I'll I'll say things in a way that's uh, intentionally... Uh, antagonistic because I, I want people to think, right? 
And um, and then you know we kind of backtrack a little bit and we say, well, this is this is really what I meant. But if I don't say it this way, you're 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 just going to gloss over it, you know. And and you're right, you know. We don't just confess about those sins that we know, but those sins which are known only to God, because our sinful nature is so bad that we do things and think they're okay, or we don't even realize how terrible we are, you know. So so you're right, you know. And and he does go through you know five or six of these points. And in and in many of them, I think it really does help us to understand the distinction between and why it's important when we when we have a distinction between fundamental, non-fundamental, and then what will come just a little bit later, which are open-ended questions. So, you know, he gives the example of, of angels, right? Um, uh, so uh, angels are a non-fundamental doctrine. The Bible clearly says that they exist. But any sort of ranking or hierarchy of angels beyond the use of the term archangel once or twice in the Bible, that's an open-ended question. But, you know, the, the fact that you know, Jesus is in charge of all the angels, right, like that's, that would still be a, a fundamental doctrine, right? Um, he's the Lord of all creation. Or you take the devil, right? Um, the origin of the devil. I mean, God created him, but like, was he rebelling against God? Was he just jealous of us? Open-ended question. Does the devil exist? Non-fundamental doctrine. Fundamental doctrine, Jesus defeats the devil, hmm. because it's pertaining to salvation. And so he gives us a good you know, uh, list of things that I think um, people will often sort of overlook, because they'll say, oh, well, fundamental doctrine is talking about salvation, so that means it only has to do with Jesus on the cross. Well, yeah, but you being a sinner is why he's on the cross. That's part of your, your fundamental doctrine, right? Um, evolution or the creation of the world. Well, that's that's not directly Jesus on the cross, but actually it kind of is. Because if you think that, you know, we came to be through millions of years of death and evolution, then what exactly is Jesus saving us from? God created death as part of the process. So a lot of times people will try to put into the non-fundamental category a lot of doctrines that really do have to do with our salvation. Um, and I think he does, Peter does a great job in this in this list of getting us to think beyond uh, where our sinful nature would want us to go. Wolf Mueller? That's exactly right. I mean, we, when we preach the gospel, Christ forgives you all your sins. People say, what sins? <laughs> you know, Christ <laughs> came to save you. Well, from what? If you don't know that you need saving, then the gospel is utterly meaningless. Making the doctrine of sin, and not only sin, but original sin, and not only original sin, but the condemnation of God's wrath that we deserve because of our sin— part of the fundamental doctrine, the beginning of where you understand. If you don't understand that you're sick, then you don't know that you need a doctor. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, you don't know that you need a Savior. So the doctrine of sin becomes the, the place that you have to start, the diagnosis to which the gospel is the solution. People at church always ask me, Pastor, this gospel is so great and so wonderful. Why doesn't everybody believe it? And I think, I think this, what Peter's talking about here is one of the big reasons that people don't believe it. Because to believe that Jesus is your Savior, you have to first believe that you need saving. And that fights against everything that our sinful flesh believes about itself. And it pushes to everything, I mean, you, you say everything is sinful flesh, it pushes to what American culture at this point has come to be one of its foundational assumptions, which is that death is part, you mentioned this, uh, Pastor Linnell, as well, death is a good thing. Death is, this, death is part of the design process of mother, mother evolution and all this kind of stuff. And so you come along and you say, well, Jesus loves you to somebody, and they say, so what? Why, why do I care? Well, he's your savior. He died for you. 
Uh, yeah, sure, great, whatever. You know, I, I got no time for this. What do I need him for? Well, he forgives you of your sins. What does that mean? Well, you've made some mistakes. Well, that's true. Uh, that's real. you got a sweet little religion there. Well, but see, it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than your mistakes. And, and to find what Scripture preaches to us about our wretched condition, filthy rags and all, and to, it's one thing to kind of give an assent to it. It's another to have faith in it created so that you start to, with the law, look at your life as reflected in a perfect mirror, and now awakening within the heart that wretched condition and having to become you know totally wretched, utterly wretched, as as uh, uh, Paul says in Romans, exposing the, the the deepest lies of who you are and how you can trick not everybody else but yourself, right? To believe that about yourself and to know you know if I'm left to my own devices, I will bring it all to ruin because I will lie myself out of the faith eventually. What what do I need saving from? I need saving from me. That's what I need saving from. That is the first step in saving faith. And as you say, and I really think this is key, isn't it fascinating? We worry so much about mission. How do we tell people about Jesus? Sometimes I wonder if the first step is not to tell them about Jesus at all, yeah? But to ask the question, you know, how goes your heart, my friend? How goes your spirit? How goes your love for your neighbor? Something everyone's going to cheer. Love your neighbor, yeah! But, you know, no, really, how's it go? How's it go? Where... Where is the blackness that you're hiding from everybody else? Because if I can pull that out and let it boil the surface and cover your face till you're weeping, well, now you got a reason for a savior. So, either of you want to respond to that? I think there's a difference that we can make between a troubled conscience and a terrified conscience that has just exactly to do with what you're talking about there. Because most people will realize that they've done something wrong, uh, but but they think, well, I've done something wrong, so now I've got to do right to make up for it. But but what Peter points us to is that not only that we have uh, um, the knowledge of sin, but the consequence of sin, which is eternal damnation. So that my problem is not the sin that I've done, but the wrath of God that I've deserved because of my sin. And that's a terrified conscience. So a lot of people think, oh man, I've really messed up, but I've got to try to do my best to make up for it. But when I realize I can't make up for it, that my problem is the wrath of God, and now I need a Savior, uh, now I need saving. Now the gospel starts to make sense. Until I know that my problem is God's wrath, the solution is never going to be God in my flesh on a cross. But as soon as I realize that my problem is God's wrath, now I'm looking to God uh, for for a solution. So, th- so this is right. And, and this knowledge that I deserve God's wrath is, like you said at the beginning, Pastor Fisk, only something that's revealed to us in the Scripture. Luther says that original sin is so deep a corruption that we can't even see, we can't even see how bad we are, we can't even see how wretched we are, that the Scriptures, the Bible, has to show us what we deserve because of our sin. Pastor Linnell? No, that's great. Not great, but <laughs> what you said was great. <laughs> so it's got me thinking about fundamentalism a little bit here, and, and this idea from, what is it, 19th century, late 18th century, USA, that the, a reaction against liberalism, that we, we kind of created these fundamentals of biblical truth that well you you got to be you got to believe these things to be a christian and so i did a little google search on this and 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 i know that the these these can change from place to place and time to time but the list here of the stressed core beliefs at least as wikipedia defines them from uh, the section on fundamentals uh, the inerrancy of the bible 
the literal nature of biblical accounts, especially miracles in Genesis, the virgin birth, bodily resurrection and physical return of Christ, substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. Now, you almost get it there at the end that he atoned for something. But isn't it fascinating? Universal that the, substitutionary atonement. What's that? Universal substitutionary atonement. Isn't it fascinating, though, that sin is not one of the fundamentals, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you kind of get to him dying for something with the atonement, but you got to have the theology of the atonement to already know it. And here, Peeper, as he's going to list them, he doesn't start—I mean, he, he's already spent a lot of time on the inerrancy of the Bible, but it's not the first fundamental thing, he says, right? Actually, it's the, the, the thing that makes the faith the faith— is this is this sin reality? I, I find that fascinating. So feel free to jump in on that on the other side of this break, guys. If you like, we'll be right. Ooh, uh, why did that do that? We'll do it like that. There we go. We'll be right back on Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, fundamentally, anytime, anywhere. A long-standing tradition here at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast live worship services for those unable to attend worship and for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUO. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, where Reverend Dr. Dennis Caston presides as senior pastor. Our 1045 worship comes from Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri, where Reverend Dr. Kevin Golden presides as senior pastor. Come worship with us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. Truth is, opioids only mask the pain, and they come with serious side effects, from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology, we are Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO Cross Defense talking about the fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines of Scripture with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and Pastor Sean Linnell. And uh, gentlemen, we kind of we left off, and I was talking a little bit about the you know, fundamentalism, missing out on sin, and, and getting some information off Wikipedia. And I just got a laugh that down on the bottom of the page, I was scrolling through it during on the break, and it gets to criticisms of fundamentalism. And you got to love this: Christian fundamentalism has been linked with child abuse and mental illness. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> It's not at all, you know, um, you know, well, maybe it's not biased. There's like there's like four footnotes for each of those as well. It's just it's just great. But back to the you're real gonna, point. Oh, go ahead, Brian. See if the, they have the same sort of warning on Islam. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> well played. 
Now, you got a, it's interesting that I think Peeper was writing about the same time that, they, uh, that the fundamentalist article, <laughs> these, these pamphlets were being published, which is really interesting because Peeper would, I mean, the Lutherans, we are, I mean, we would agree with all of these fundamentals. We wouldn't, and Peeper would, is not only going to assert these fundamentals, but he's going to defend them against every sort of, of liberal assault on the on the clarity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. We're we're very strong on that doctrine. And but what's what's interesting to me is that Peter doesn't get around to talking about the about God's Word until he gets to the fifth in his list of five fundamentals. And and it's because the Lord, the Holy Spirit, works through the Word to deliver faith that our doctrine of the Scriptures becomes one of the fundamentals. So it's it is about not just the things that are true, but not it's about the things that are true and deliver to us the forgiveness of sins. Those mark the essential uh, doctrines. Right. Well, and, and there's, you know, when, when we do things like that, I think it's interesting to, to take a look and see sort of what the difference is and how Peeper addresses these and how the fundamentalist pamphlets deal with these, because it's, it's a difference in, in the way that you phrase the question and the way that you think. When you take a look at the fundamentalist pamphlets, they have to justify why something is a fundamental doctrine. Peeper takes the opposite approach. Everything is a fundamental doctrine until you prove that it's not. Hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. Say a little more about that, because I think that's really good, too. Well, it, it's, if you are having to justify why something is a fundamental doctrine, then you are coming from the position that, um, that God has to justify why something is important, or I have to justify why something in God's Word is important, or, you know, or something like that. You know, and, and it's, it's really just bound up in this mindset that the exception equals the rule, and that's not the case. It's just not the case. You should not be looking for excuses for why you don't have to believe or you don't have to follow or you don't have to do something that's in God's Word. And this comes up all the time with lots of things that I'm going to try really hard not to rant about. But, you know, even, even in various practices, you know, stop trying to tell me why it is that you don't have to do this, why isn't, you know, your position or, or the, the mindset, uh, how can we do this? You know, how can we, we do what God says? Well, here's a challenge to this, but, you know, instead of looking for a reason for why we discard God's Word in the face of challenges, why don't we, we you know, look for a, a better way to, to phrase what He says in, in the face of adversity? And so, you know, in a lot of these things, uh, everything in God's Word is true. And Peter starts in that position, he spent 50 pages telling you why everything in God's Word is true, and why if we don't have that, we, we don't even need to write the rest of this book. We have no common ground. And so when he, when he phrases or when he organizes his book, he starts with God's Word, and then he starts with fundamental doctrines, then he moves to non-fundamental doctrines, then he talks about fundamental primary, and or excuse me, a fundamental, then fundamental primary, and fundamental secondary, then non-fundamental doctrines, and then, lastly, those things on which God's uh, Word is silent. Because, again, you start with everything is the truth, everything that God says is the truth and is God's Word, and then you, and then you work down and you prove where you have wiggle room, but you assume that you have none. So in a sense what you're saying is that, that fundamentalism as a, as a movement carries the seeds of its own destructions in its holding an initial assumption that, that not all... Scripture is is necessary to be believed, and that that really is the difference between them and what P 
Pieper, when he says non-fundamental, he doesn't mean not needing to be believed. <laughs> he isn't saying that you're free to let this thing go. And then in that, you know, kind of kind of veering back a little bit to the text, pointing out that, look, you're going to say that we can disagree about what sin is. Well, look how, how central this is. Look at how this really goes to the heart of, of everything that we do believe. I'm going to read the rest of this paragraph here, and then you guys keep going with the conversation in any direction you want. So he says, the only effective way of dealing with sinful man is therefore to preach first repentance and then the forgiveness of sins. Christ prescribed this method in Luke twenty four forty seven. The story of the Pharisee and the publican, otherwise known as a tax collector, in Luke eighteen teaches the same truth. Christ rejects very definitely, or definitely the faith of the Pharisees, who refused to believe that he was under God's wrath. Excuse me, the Pharisee in the in the parable, who refused to believe he was under God's wrath, guilty of eternal damnation but who thanked God that he was not like other men or as other men are and believed that in God's sight he was better than the extortioners, unjust adulterers, or this publican. Christ's method is shown in all those scripture passages which declare that the grace of God is nigh unto the brokenhearted and dwells with them. So more of the same about the need to to understand the fundamentality of, sin, of the sinful condition. So I, 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 I hated to interrupt and, and push this forward, though, because we were, we were, I think, having a really good conversation as well. So, uh, Wolf Mueller, initial thoughts either of what I just read or going back to what we were talking about before. Well, no, I mean, Peeper's just, he's kind of is pushing forward with the same idea, which is basically this that, that as God's doctrine uh, comes into contact with man's doctrine, this is the, this is the first place where there, it comes into conflict. Uh, we, there, there's an old, oh, man, I wish, this is the thing, there's a place in my brain where I'm supposed to remember what this is called, and, I, and it's destroyed, and I can never remember it, but there's a rule that, there's a thing that Peeper's going to talk about, uh, the, the, the doctrine of the flesh, the rule of, of the law, uh, which basically says that, you know what that, na- that na- there's a Latin name for it that I forget every day, I remember every day and I forget every day, but that says that if, I'm, if God is mad at me because of my sin, then he's going to be happy with me because of my good works. It's the, it's the basic doctrine of the sinful flesh. And, and for the gospel to, be, to make any sense, to make any sort of inroads in my heart, conscience, and mind, that, that that first thing has to be assaulted with the law of God that calls me a damnable sinner that deserves God's grace, that God's, God's uh, wrath. So that, uh, so that this first doctrine, the first fundamental doctrine, is, that, is God's assault on my pride. You're talking about the opinion legus. Yeah, that's the one. The okay. opinion legus. <laughs> the opinion I'll of the law. You know what's I'll so funny? Too. You taught me that. I wouldn't know that if you hadn't <laughs> taught me that. That's hilarious. The opinion of the law written on your heart. That my first. I, I'm a basketball player by trade. It's been a little while. But uh, uh, my there's a there's a thing you do in basketball when you you catch a ball and you get in what they call triple threat position and it's kind of your your legs are bent the balls at your chest your elbows are out but the idea is that you can do three things from that position you can shoot you can drive you can pass but when you're going to drive before you ever put the ball in the ground to dribble you do something called you take your first step and how quick or how good a player is at penetrating with basketball it's always about the first step and and whether or not you can like fake out the guy and and make your first step go where he's not ready for you to go or you can fake the shot so he thinks you're going to shoot but your first step's going around him all that kind of stuff the thing is and i'd say all that to say the first step of sinful man is the law the first reaction the thing we do is we seek to use the law to justify ourselves to look at what i'm 
able to do and say on the basis of what I'm able to do, I'm okay after all. What what the real law of God is, is somebody taking a charge. <laughs> they step right in front of your first step, and you barrel into the thing, and you guys are both on the ground, the ball's going flying everywhere, and the referee's saying, other team gets it now. That needs to happen to that opinion of the law. It needs to be stopped dead in its tracks so that the first step of the Christian, the first step of the regenerate man, is not the opinion of the law. Of course, your flesh still carries that along around with you, and so you're going to always have the saint center struggle. But the first step of the Christian is grace. Grace for others, grace for self grace in Christ, we're under the blanket of being covered. That The first place I'm going to go is not uh, to my own works, but to the cross. Now, the metaphor breaks down there a little bit, but uh, thank you for bringing up the opinio legis, Pastor Wolf Miller. You perhaps should get it tattooed onto the back of your left palm so you can always see it when you need it. Pastor Linnell, you've been quiet for a while. Nobody's ever accused me of that. Um, (laughs) When... When, you know, when, when Pieper gives his list of things here, it's not an exhaustive list. And you see that when we get into the discussion on primary and secondary fundamental doctrines. People want to have the question or want to address the question of primary and secondary fundamental doctrines uh, at the level of fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines. Because when we get into talking about primary and secondary, now we're talking about things like baptism and the Lord's Supper and, you know, is my... Baptist grandmother saved because she doesn't believe that Christ is present in the sacrament. Like, that's where those questions are. Don't make those questions of fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines. Uh, you know, we're always looking to lower the bar. Um, don't do that. You know, when you lower the bar and you miss, you know what happens? <laughs> Bad stuff. So, you know, when he goes through, again, and number one, he does start with sin, and then, you know, number two, he gets down here and he, he talks about the person of Christ. Um, well, is you know, is is believing in Jesus enough? You know, and, and again, he's he's going to say it's necessary, but no, no, it's not enough. You know, our last two gospel lessons in the three lectionary, right? The the demons, they know who Jesus is. They're going to confess who Jesus is, but they're not going to confess what he's come to do. In fact, they're going to try and take attention away from what he's come to do and, and put it on, you know, who he is being God. It's true. He is God. They're not saying anything untrue. You know, it's necessary. It's just not enough. And that's why, you know, you get down into number three, which is, you know, the, the work of Christ and what it is that he's what it is that he's come to do. But, you know, and then as you know, as you continue, how do you know that that's what he's come to do? Is it because the, you know, the church brought it to you? Or is it, you know, the, the scriptures brought it to you, which, you know, the church has, they've been given to the church, you know, and, and so it goes like that. And then, you know, what is the, the result of this forgiveness of sins through the work of Christ and everything that's come to you in the Word? And, well, it's, it's ultimately the resurrection of the body and, and the eternal life that, you know, that he has. And I don't, I mean, Pieper takes some painstaking work to write that out in three pages, um, but those like those really he means those to be like the most basic things and not even an exhaustive list list of them. Mm-hmm. Wolf Miller? Yeah, this reminds me uh what Pastor Linnell said is that how how most people are looking for the MRD, the minimum required doctrine. And you even hear people saying this. What you know what don't you just have to believe in Jesus to be saved or don't you just have to whatever? Don't you just have to that that People are thinking about what is the least amount of biblical doctrine that I have to be that I have to believe to consider myself a Christian. What what's the least amount of faith that I have to have to be saved? The, the people are always interested in the kind of the lowest common denominator of salvation, and this is not 
what Pieper means by fundamental doctrines, and it's never what the, the how the Bible talks. There's this overflowing abundance of grace and truth and, and mercy and kindness that comes to us from God, in that the Lord not only tells us those things which are absolutely necessary for salvation, but he tells us so much more. So when Pieper is talking about the fundamental doctrines, he's not saying, okay, this is all you need to know, all you should be interested in, all you should care about, and so forth. No, not, not at all. There's no... There's no minimizing of, of doctrine at all that's happening here. What Pieper's doing is he's kind, of, he's kind of clearing away those things that are simply necessary for faith to survive. It, it'd be like saying, hey, what, what are the minimum, minimum requirements for life? Well, you have to have a small electric thing going to your heart to cause it to beat, and you have to have, you know, like two cubic centimeters of air going into your lungs to breathe, and 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 the, the, you know, the, and then you have that to be keeps your brain for twenty weeks. <clears throat> yeah, the, and and so you're interested in what kind of measurements are required just to even stay alive. But if you said to anybody, well, would you want that kind of life? You know, the, the answer is no, no, that's not. And and we don't want that kind of doctrine either. We want the fullness of the scriptures. But in the meantime, right. we're going to looking at the what is going to keep us alive, so that we make sure that we protect that first of all. What's the minimum amount of truth you want your spouse to tell you, right? <laughs> you know, what's the what's the minimum um, amount of love you want your your child to give you, right? It, it, it is such an insane way of looking at it. What's the minimum amount of ice cream I can have in this bowl? Just the smallest amount. Just the smallest well, amount, you know. I actually have a diet, so that's a well, that's, a, <laughs> that's a real question. But, well, but, but the reason those ahead. questions sound so weird is because they are the wrong question. Yes. You're asking about the gospel, but you're asking the law for the answer. When you ask those questions, it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about you, and you have already failed because the gospel isn't about you. It's for you. Hmm. I'm going to stop right on that. Break or break. We're we're going to break just because we got a big paragraph left. But it was, yeah. Cross defense. It's afternoon on Monday. We'll be right back. I was glad when they said to me, "Let us go to the house of the Lord." Psalm one hundred twenty-two, verse one. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org slash kit to download the Refugee Sunday kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org slash kit. We shall not be moved. Every U.S. president since 1976 has designated the month of February as Black History Month. It has become an official celebration of the role of African Americans in the history of the United States. From the Exodus story, providing hope for the enslaved and oppressed, to the civil rights movement with We Shall Not Be Moved from Psalm 16:8, the powerful references in the speeches of Martin Luther King and the activism of Rosa Parks, to the first African American president, Barack Obama, 
the Bible has had a significant role in the lives of African Americans in this country. At the 2017 dedication of Museum of the Bible, U.S. Senate Chaplain Barry Black said, I discovered that the Bible is three things. It is powerful, it is convicting, and it is effective. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. You're listening across the fence, your weekly dose of worldview demolition here on KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we got on the line. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller and Pastor Sean Linnell, we're looking at Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics because the powerful and effective Bible is true. <laughs> it is true and fundamentally so. We're talking about the distinction between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, looking at sin and moving into, that's just the first of these fundamental doctrines, moving into the person of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read the the rest of the kind of paragraph we have assigned for today, and then we'll fill up the rest of the hour with chatting about it. So, Scripture furthermore teaches very def- definitely that saving faith includes the knowledge of the person of Christ. It knows that Christ is theanthropos, God and man. Christ's question, what think you of the Christ, whose son is he, has not merely academic, but a very practical value. Christ himself declares that unless men believe in the essential deity of Christ, they do not believe in Christ. As an aside, this would be why, even though Jehovah's Witnesses talk about believing in Jesus, we would say, no, they don't, because they don't believe that he is deity. They don't believe that he's God. He rejects, going on from Francis Pieper, uh, Jesus rejects the belief of the Jewish people who took him for John the Baptist, Elias, that's Elijah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he commended the faith of his disciples who through the revelation of the Father, knew him as the Son of the living God. The fact that men are ready to give Jesus the title of God as, uh, does not make them believers. As, lo- oh, as, a, as an honorary title, right? It's actually got to be real. As long as they deny his eternal Godhead, they do not possess the saving faith. The Unitarians and the Unitarian modernists are placed by Scripture extra ecclesiam, that's outside of the church. The same is true of the Trinity, because the unus deus, the the single God, the only God, is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Faith in the three persons is, according to Scripture, so closely interwoven that there can be no knowledge of the Son without the Father. And he quotes Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says again, no man knows the Father but the Son. Excuse me, no man knows the Son but the Father. Now I got that one backwards. There is no knowledge of the Father without the Son. And now he quotes Matthew 11, neither knows any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. King James. And there is no knowledge of the Father and the Son without the Holy Ghost. Romans 8. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And 1 Corinthians 12. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, Peeper again, for the purpose of invalidating these New Testament statements on the Trinity, the moderns contend that such reflections on Father, Son, and Spirit were far beyond the first Christians. Uh, I believe that's been shown to be quite an erroneous since, uh, since Peeper's day, but people still make the argument. They even challenged the historicity of the Trinitarian baptismal formula of Matthew 28 on the ground that the early Christians were totally unaware of the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, the way that argument goes is that the, you know Jesus kind of came along and taught some good stuff. Then some people said, we think he's God, like later. And then they had to come up with a, with a way to like prove he was God. So like, well, there's this Trinity thing. We'll just say that. That'll get people to believe. And over the course of several hundred years, we just made up Christianity. Again, uh, the archaeological records don't really bear this out, but it sounded good when you spoke it with a British accent in the 1800s. The tr- it's not just the British, German accent, too. The truth of the matter is, 
as will be shown in the locus on baptism, the place on baptism, that modern theology is, in a most unhistorical matter, foisting its own deficiency in Christian knowledge upon the early Christians. Wonderfully said, Dr. Pieper. Not only the early Christians, but also the Old Testament believers accepted the revelation of the Trinity, as will be shown in the place where we talk on God. De- Deo. So, Pastor, uh, whoever's uh, whoever's doing dishes right now gets to go first, whoever that is. <laughs> I'm not doing dishes. I'm laughing at Peeper here. It's great. He said the moderns have just foisted their own ignorance it's great. on the early church fathers. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's I mean, awesome. This is the best. And so that um, because the ancient Christians could, uh, because we can't understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of our great enlightened advancement, we have to voiced this sort of ignorance back on the first uh, first Christian. It's amazing. But the big, the larger point, I mean, Pieper kind of is giving a foretaste of the polemics that he hopes to engage in soon, but the big point here is that, first, we have to believe in our own sin, but second, the fundamental doctrine that comes next is the death and resurrection, is the, is the person of Jesus. And, and the result of, um, of his uh, incarnation for, for us, so so that we have to believe in Jesus. It's not an option to reject this great mystery of the incarnation of Christ, God in, in our flesh. Linnell? I, I agree. I think it's, um, it's almost kind of sad that we, we have to have this long of a paragraph explaining why uh, Jesus is important. Like, I thought it was sort of implicit in the name Christianity, but, you know... Uh, what do I know? I mean, I walked into uh, excuse me into McDonald's the other day. It was sort of this bizarre, surreal experience as a person sitting there on the laptop, and I was I was in with my kids, and we prayed before the meal, and they thought that that meant that they should come over and assault my religion, which I thought was cool. And so they came over and they said, "You know, Christians when they celebrate Christmas, they're really they're worshiping Yule and uh, and the the Norse gods." And, uh, and I said, "Really, that's." That's interesting. Why don't you tell me more about the influence of Scandinavian religions on first century Jews? Did you get that from the internet? Because I see like your laptop is open. And I mean, like I don't mean to be a jerk, but yeah, I do. I I really do. I just I don't know. I, I kind of agree though, Pastor Linnell. There's a place I, you, you got to be depending on your context. Careful how you apply what I what I'm going to share here. But there's a place where the scoffer is just got to be scoffed at. And this is the way the Proverbs talk. Uh, this is the way Elijah and Elisha talk. It doesn't mean you you hate them. You just don't, you don't give their nonsensical argument credit of sense. You, you don't let them sit there and just make up stuff and have to uh, approach it as if it's true and wise. Instead, you just, you, you call it on the carpet for what it is. What's scary to me is that that argument that they made to you is one that most Christians are unprepared to even engage. And probably they're going to hear something like that and they're going to say, I've never heard this before. And then they're going to go Google it and they're going to find not a bunch of Christian apologetics defending these things, right? They're going to find instead a bunch of uh, efforts to missional to anti-evangelize them based upon what amounts to faulty science, but nonetheless is what the world would rather believe. And, and that's what bothers me the most about that kind of thing. But I totally agree with you. At a certain point, it's like, look, you're just going to scoff at my religion. Well, I don't have to, like, recognize that as a valuable thing that you're doing over there. You know, you're, you're just, you're you're the monkey in the corner, you know, picking his own head. It's, it's just what you, and by the way, you, uh, based on your confession, that's actually what you're doing. <laughs> 
polite way to describe the monkey and what he was doing. I, I think, you know, the reason I bring that up, though, is because, you know, Peeper is responding to um, really the, the kind of the, the beginning or at least the, the, the real momentum of a movement that, that has gained a lot of ground and, and stayed, which is um, the Bible's not true. Mm. And nothing in the Bible is true, and Jesus was really just some guy that said some nice things, and, and that doesn't work. Um, so, you know, I mean, Peeper is dealing with that. He's just dealing with it, you know, in an earlier time period, and but it hasn't gone away, you know. And he's really just dealing with the same thing that, that the, the early uh, Pharisees were doing, you know, the, the early Christians had to contend with. And the reason that our theology developed the way that it did isn't because we didn't know what we believed, but we, we didn't need this, this systematic um, uh, presentation until we had to defend it against people who became increasingly more sophisticated in their assaults. And so when you see the sophistication of Christian theology develop throughout the centuries, that doesn't mean we're inventing stuff. It just means we're getting better at defending what we already believed. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Wolf Mueller? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think this is an important part of our own apologetic, is to be able to re- recognize something as, as ridiculous, be- because it works on us, right? I mean, this is one of the ways that the devil fights against the Christian, is that, is that our conviction that of the truth of the Scriptures and all of its claims, the truth of of Christ and his incarnation and his resurrection and his miracles uh, and his saving work and everything else, the, uh, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of marriage, everything in the Bible is simply kind of mocked by, by the world. It's not, there's not, uh, it's not really argued against. It's, you know, we, we say stuff like, hey, I think the world is a few thousand years old, and the result is a snicker, you know. <laughs> and that, that's, the, that's the assault, but for whatever reason, that assault works. And even though I find myself, if you ask me about these things, I believe them to be true, but I am a little bit ashamed of them, so that, so that this, the boldness that Peeper has is, is something that we should be able to share, is when the, the Christian doctrine and the Christian faith is mocked at, we, we, we should recognize that the false doctrine can also be mocked. Oh, you believe that the Bible's you know, full of all sorts of errors. You believe that there was a, a, a primitive Christianity that wasn't able to understand the Trinity. You believe—I mean, whatever it is, and that we can, we can in fact look at that and snicker and say, it's ignorant. It's utterly ignorant. And we do, do not have to uh, take seriously these claims of total ignorance because they're done in scholarly journals or by guys that have a German accent. <laughs> One of my favorite stories, I think I've told it on the show before, but I'm going to tell it again briefly, is I, I met another pastor at, at some event. This was back when Broken first came out from, from CPH, and, and he was telling me about his time, his journey into Christianity. And he had been dating a Lutheran, an LCMS Lutheran, but he was an avowed atheist and an apologist and very, very cantankerous about it, as, as they are wont to be. And he visited church with her anyway, even though he didn't want to. And he, he walked up to the pastor after the service, really, really proud of himself, and boldly introduced himself to the pastor and said, I'm an atheist, and I don't believe anything that you say. And the pastor kind of just looked at him and said, huh. And he looked away. <laughs> and he didn't talk to him anymore. And he felt the guy was like, like not ashamed and like a, like a, like a go hide in the corner way, but he was, he was like angry. Like, wait a minute. You're supposed to be mad at what I said. You're supposed to, you're supposed to be hurt by what I said. And the pastor just ignored him. And so what happened? He came back the next week because he wanted to try again. <laughs> and he kept coming back. Now the guy's a Missouri Synod pastor. 
I mean, it actually worked, right? And not to say, you know, you know, don't go out and talk to your, you know, everybody that way. But there's a point at which the, the scoffer, you know, and I'm talking in proverbial terms here, the scoffer, the lowest of the low amongst the sinners listed in Proverbs, the one who, who thinks God is funny because he doesn't believe, at some point, he's, he is all, he's the equivalent of the fool, and he needs to be told as much, some way, somehow. Uh, we got about, about eight minutes left here. Uh, back on person of Christ, back on fundamental, non-fundamental, back on uh, sin and grace, whatever, whatever you guys want to do. Linnell, take a shot. Um, well, we can, you know, continue to walk, you know, through this. I think that, that again, when we talk about the, the person of Christ, um, it's, it's more than just, you know, believing that Jesus is real, but believing what he says about himself. When you, when you read through the Bible, a lot of times we get in the bad habit of thinking that the parables are there to teach us about ourselves, um, and they're not. The vast majority of what Jesus says in the Bible is, is teaching about himself and what he's come to do. But, um, you know, hopefully as we, as we read through, and you see that this is put up, if the, if the Bible is talking to you about yourself, it's not telling you how to be a good person, it's telling you why you're not. And um, then also, you know, the Bible is talking about uh, the vast majority of the time Jesus. So when you read through the parables, um, read through them and try to see how they're teaching you about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Don't, don't read them as uh, cute devotionals for how to be a good person. <laughs> I want to. I want a little bit more on this. You know, believing in Jesus is not enough idea because I think there's a couple of directions where we can go with that and it being true. But I also think it's probably a very. It's one of those disturbing phrases that like can shock you. What do you mean? You know, I, I said I believe in Jesus. How can you not recognize me? Well, there's there's ways to twist that. So any of that, Wolfmiller? Well, yeah, there's a couple of ways that. Just the phrase, I believe in Jesus, is not sufficient. It's, you, um, we recognize, on the one hand, there are competing definitions of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, um, there's an there's a Islamic doctrine of Jesus. They believe that Jesus was a great prophet, born of a virgin even, uh, but they don't believe that he's God in the flesh. Uh, there's a Mormon doctrine of Jesus, which believes that Jesus was uh, the first uh, spirit uh, child of, our, of Heavenly Father, uh, who was sent down to redeem us, and by that redemption, he means give us the gift of, of the resurrection. That's not the biblical Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's a liberal doctrine of Jesus that people are getting after here that says that Jesus was a, was a great teacher, but denies that he is part of the Godhead, the uh, part of uh, the Holy Trinity. He's not the Son of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there's a uh, that there's the Christ of historical Christ, there's a Christ of faith, and and that is they might say they believe in Jesus, but that is a different Jesus. So the first problem with that is um, w- when you say you believe in Jesus, who are you talking about? Are you talking about the the second person of the Holy Trinity who is found in our flesh to be our Savior? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, it has to do with what faith is. James tells us that the demons believe and they shudder, but they do not have saving faith. Most. Herod believed in Jesus because that's why he wanted to have him killed before he was two years old. Uh, the, the Pharisees believed in Jesus, which is why they arranged for his murder, because they saw that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's one thing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah. The demons believe that, uh, but they don't trust in him. So a saving faith is not just believing that Jesus is who he says he is, but in fact uh, throwing in your lot with him, knowing that he is your only hope uh, for, for, uh, for life and in death. And so when we say, I believe in Jesus, we want to mean those two things. I trust for my salvation in the Son of God who 
bore my sins on the cross. Mm, that's good stuff. Linnell? Right. And, um, and since, since we have already referenced those, those places in the Scripture where it's, it's really obvious that there are people who know who Jesus is, and that's not saving faith, you know, as, as Lutherans, the phrase, for you, becomes really important, right? And so in the, the explanation to the, the sacrament of the altar, you know, when it says uh, at the last one, you know, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly found in outward training, but the person who is truly worthy and well-prepared, who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubt them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all hearts to believe. So again, it's not just believing in Jesus, but it's him and what he has done and that it is for you. Hmm. Uh, that, that language there of requiring all hearts to believe, I, I haven't looked at the German, but I, I think it's it's not so much about uh, demanding it like you'd better. It's more like here's the thing that you can believe, right? That this this body and blood is given for you. Sink your faith. Sink your faith into that. Uh, we, we've got just about a minute left, and uh, I'm not quite sure where, where to throw this thing, but uh, uh, I'll throw it at Wolfmuller because Linnell just got to chat. Wolfmuller, closing thoughts on the hour. Well, we have here, you know, the second great fundamentals, the two great mysteries of the faith, the incarnation of Jesus and the, and the mystery of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Pieper is, is careful to make sure that these are not doctrinal abstractions. But it says to know the Son is to know the Father, and to know Jesus is to have life. And this is why the Incarnation and the Trinity are fundamental doctrines, because knowing God as our Father, as our Redeemer, as our Sanctifier, means knowing God as our Savior. And that is our hope in life and death. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller there is pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, author of the recent book from Concordia Publishing House, Has the American Christianity Failed? You've also heard Pastor Sean Linnell. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. And we have been dancing around another book by a guy named Pastor Matthew Richard, not on this show, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? You might check that out if you're curious about this, which Jesus are we talking about? How can we say that belief in Jesus is not enough, the redefining of that? Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up by Matthew Richard from Concordia Publishing House. Just throwing that out there. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with a little bit more of world demi- Worldview Demolition from the words of Francis Pieper in his Christian Dogmatics Volume 1. Until then, you know what, what I want to take away from today is to remember that God comes to give me what I need. And what I need is not me. What I need is the real Jesus. What I need is to know that the me who is me is Opinio legacing himself to death, looking to his own hands for far too many things which those hands cannot provide. But the real Jesus, the one of history who is truly testified to in the scriptures, who is there for the sake of my faith, as one who knows this, And even though he is the holy God who has every right to condemn me for what I am as a child of the devil, as as Satan's own progeny, nonetheless entered into my condition in order to redeem me, to buy me back from it, to bring me back to the Father from whom he comes, that my faith in the Holy Trinity, who is the one true God, washes me unto life everlasting. Again, you listen to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Rock on.
You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.